one of 2022's most polarizing movies. Today I'm talking about Babylon. This is Scott's Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about Babylon, which is the most recent movie from Damien Chazelle, who is the director behind La La Land and Whiplash, and very polarizing. A lot of very disparate opinions on this one, and yeah, that's a, that's that's the best way I can get into it. Um, like, so you'll note that some people have been like, "What is this? This is the worst thing I've ever seen," and it's so damn long. And then others, like uh, Stephen King, saying he thinks it's misunderstood and will become a classic in years to come. While that remains to be seen, I feel like some people might hold this up. I have a feeling this is going to be closer to the artist, for reasons I'll get into shortly. But yeah, there's appealing elements, but I also see why people get upset by it, and I'm kind of just in the middle. It's kind of like, eh, okay. So without further ado, let's get started. It seems hyperbolic to call any movie polarizing. Not because actual polarization, aka no one in the middle and everyone strongly in one camp, is so rare, but also because modern internet culture has turned every movie in a means, every movie in a means to dissect and discuss their already foreign political points, whether it's critics saying that Super Mario Brothers would fail because it went woke, or the folks who then said it succeeded by not being woke. Actually, no, these are the same people, I'm very confused. All of that shit, it seems to happen to every successful film now. What's less common is to find a big-budget release, with middling reviews that are some are hailing as a misunderstood classic and others are calling hot garbage. And that's precisely what Jamie Chazelle's La La Land follow-up Babylon did. So much so that Chazelle himself said he wasn't bothered by the disparate reactions and said more movies should be polarizing. That all begs the question, though, why is Babylon polarizing? So let's dig in. The movie takes place in the ni- in 1920s Hollywood, where the movie business is booming and full of sleaze, substances, and a general sense of chaos. At the center of it all is Manuel Manny Torres, who works as a fixer for a studio before ingratiating himself into the movie-making business. But as frenetic as the silent era of movie-making is, the introduction of sound could change the business and its participants forever. So I'm going to address this movie from a bunch of different angles, starting with why a lot of folks won't care for this, then going into why some folks enjoyed it so much, and then provide my own takes on the film. These will kind of weave in and out, but that's the end goal. So let's start with the hurdles the film puts on the audience. First is the length. There's been a lot of serious and not-so-serious discussion asking if mainstream movies are too long. Most of the time, they're citing things like the runtime for successful films like Wakanda Forever, John Wick Chapter 4, and now Oppenheimer, all films that run three hours or close to it. And my thought about long movies is my, about the same as my thought for short movies. If it works, it works. The only real question that should be asked is if the movie feels long, and Babylon certainly does. Part of this is because the film is trying to capture the disparate energies of the two eras, pure chaos pure chaos for the silent era versus the highly controlled sound era. It also portrays a steady decline for the majority of its side characters, whose baggage catches up with them or are simply left behind by the perils of showbiz. But there's also so many bits and scenes that are too long and only seem to hammer home a point that's already been made about a thousand times throughout the films. 
Hurdle number two is that it's another Hollywood movie about Hollywood. That's somehow incomplete. Hollywood loves making movies about Hollywood, and especially wild historical eras of Hollywood movie making like the silent era and the transition from silent to sound. This is the same era captured by critical darlings like The Artist and classics like Singing in the Rain, which is actually referenced within the film. And honestly, portraying what that shift looked like for folks within the industry is easily the most intriguing and interesting parts of the movie. The two montages demonstrating one day of silent filmmaking versus one day of filming sound on set is easily the film's best combination of segments, both as great bits of awkward comedy and also film history. All of that is interesting and fun for a movie nerd, even if general audience might only enjoy it as farce. But once everything starts spiraling for all of the named characters, the movie seems to lose what it's trying to say, or that same sense of excessive fun that it had maintained for so long. It's also a gigantic miss thematically, not to address all of the other historical forces at work during this time period, like the Great Depression, and the Hayes Code, and World War II, and other moral and fiscal forces that pinch the actors and audiences at the same time. Otherwise, it just feels like another longer, less focused version of A Star is Born blended with Day of the Locust. Hurdle number three is Manny, not how he's portrayed, but as he's written. I want to make it very clear that my critique of our lead character, Manny, has nothing to do with the actor, Diego Calva, who is very good, and any other descriptors or identifiers. The problem with Manny is that he's not really written as a character, he's written as an observer. We see him being drawn to movie making, and Margot Robbie's aspiring starlet like a moth to the flame, perhaps a director insert character of some kind. But outside of what he likes and what he does, we don't know or see much about him that isn't problem-solving on a set for a friend. He's a vehicle for telling all of these little stories, and never really feels like he's part of it. I suppose that the idea is to make Manny hard to decipher as Robbie and Pitt's characters, but this is a classic trope that is typically used a little bit better. And number f problem number four is excess. So, this movie opens with an elephant shitting on a guy. Now apply that logic to every debauched party that will include drugs, nudity, and beyond. Again, another great opportunity to tie it into the big dreams that come from escaping a small town, or to contrast it with the depression, but nope. Still, there's a lot of appealing elements too, such as solid acting across the board. So I'll be the first to admit that Marco Robbie and Brad Pitt are playing to types they've successfully played before. Robbie's enthusiastic, fearless hotshot and Pitt's detached leading man, basically himself, but damn it if it doesn't work. <laughs> Robbie is really good at coming across like a force of nature and stomping out your heart a second later with a twinge in her voice, and Pitt hits every comedic bit with perfect deadpan before he goes into his own wallow. And that's before we dig into the supporting cast, which includes an acerbic and insightful Gene Smart, Lee Ju Lee's terrific turn as Faye, and a bunch of stunt-casted cameo roles. You can tell people were having fun making this. Appeal number two is that it is well-directed. One of my favorite ironies in a project like this is that it takes real skill as a writer and a director to make a movie about movie-making chaos. In particular, the montage scenes where the audience is taken through multiple parts of the action at once, including the opening party scene, the silent film chaos in the valley, and the introduction of the soundstage. There's half a dozen cuts in these scenes that got hearty laughs from me, and that's only because the right shots are there. I also like the idea of upending a classic era. 
one of the things that's difficult about film history is that most people will not know about the silent era of movie making. And so in order to emphasize its importance, there's a lot that's kind of swept under the rug, including things like uh, casting couches, especially for one Charlie Chaplin. Partially one of the reasons he didn't end up making too many movies after The Great Dictator. Not a lot of people know that. So to see that era completely upended as just as debauched as you've always imagined Hollywood was is nice. Now, is it enough for a novice or a film novice or not a film enthusiast to really get involved? Who's to say? For some, Chazelle's direction and the performances alone will be enough. And for others, this will just be a meandering take through Hollywood history. Personally, I'm landed firmly in the middle. Five out of ten. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.